0: Amen. So tonight we're going to be in Job chapter 15 and 16. I'm actually picking up where I left off last time I was up here. I finished chapter 14. Before we get started in the word, let's just come before him in prayer. Amen. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word, your precious word, Lord. There is nothing in life, Lord, that we will come across in this lifetime, Lord. No situation, Lord. No hurt, Lord. No joy, Lord. No challenge and no trial, Lord, that your word does not cover. That your word does not give us guidance and training in, Lord. That your word does not give us correction in, Lord, and discipline. So, Father in heaven, may we always have reverence for the word of God. Father in heaven, it speaks of the revelation of Jesus Christ, Father, and that belief in Jesus Christ, it reunites us with you and reconciles us to you, a holy God. So, Father, tonight, as we read your word, Lord, may we come before your throne humbly, Lord. May we come before your throne, Father, leaving behind any distractions. May we focus tonight on your word. And, Father, in heaven, may it sink into our heart. May it change our lives, Lord. May we not be the same tonight. Listen, may we not be the same tomorrow as we are tonight. May we be closer to you, Lord, through reading your word, studying your word together in fellowship, Lord. So may your word and your name be praised tonight through the reading of your word and through the studying of your word, and may you be praised with adoration, Lord, and may all glory be to you. In Lord Jesus Christ's name, and Lord, may my words be few, and your words be many. My words be none, and your words be many. In Lord Jesus Christ's name, and all the saints said, amen. Amen. So guys, really quick, like I said, if you want to turn to Job chapter 15, if you're not already there. Uh, we're going to go ahead and do a quick recap of 14. Last time I was here and I taught that. If you do want to see the prior uh, messages on Job, they're online. We have Danello does a great job uploading them to YouTube and even on Facebook. And you can even click on YouTube <coughs> to look at the playlist and you can see it by book, which is great. 14, and I titled this message today, A Comforter, An Intercessor to Save Us from God's Wrath. So in chapter 14, verses 1 through uh, actually. Yeah, chapter 14, we saw the following. Job states that man is born into sin, that from birth he was conceived in sin. So troubles come naturally and immediately. And the sin of our mothers, which is what he's talking about, that he was conceived into that, trouble comes because we're born into sin and we live in a broken world, right guys? It's been broken since Adam, original sin. And we're in opposition to God. If we weren't in opposition to God, then we wouldn't need a savior, correct? But that's why Jesus came into the world. So Job states this and that, that he's in opposition to God from birth. David also said that in Psalm 51, if you guys ever want to look at it. He said, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, And then thousands of years, this is thousands of years later, after Job had already said it. Doesn't the Bible rock that it's consistent in its theme? It's consistent in its message? Amen. There is no other book on earth like that can be thousands of years apart, but still have the same message of the gospel. Amen. Amen. You guys awake? All right. So Job questioned God, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? And the answer is what guys? No one. No one, but who? Jesus, right, amen, because Jesus lived a, lived a perfect and sinless life, right? No amount of good we can do can ever appease God because the bar of acceptability is holiness, right? You guys do realize that, right? There's no good you can do that can appease God because God doesn't require goodness. God actually requires what? Holiness, amen, being sanctified and set apart for his glory and to serve his purpose and to have that relationship with him. For He said in the Bible, what? Be holy for for I am holy. Amen. The scripture's sinking in with you guys. Amen. And the only sacrifice God would accept for full payment of that sin was that perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Uh, So guys, we are not saved. We're not saved because of who we are. It's because what Jesus has already done for us, amen? And we always have to remember that. There's nothing you guys can do. Jesus paid that price, and it's his grace. We're getting something we didn't deserve, amen? So Job compares death of a man to a tree in chapter 14. He says, when it is cut down a tree to its stump, he said, it can rise again and live. And I didn't know that when I first read Job 14. Did you guys know? It? I didn't know that, that a stump, if you water it, you know it will come back? A tree, right? I guess I started thinking of the movie, the superhero movie where that, thing is a tree, and then he cuts off the limb, and then they put water on him, and he grows back, right? So, guys, but Job says, but I'm not like the tree. When I'm cut down, I won't grow back. I'll be left in the grave. Now, we know that's not true. Why? Because we have the revelation of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Job didn't have that at that time. He believed that the Jews believed they were left in the ground, which they call Sheol, and the universe would be gone. But God does not forget us. He does not leave us in the grave. We will be resurrected because we believe in the gospel. So then you ask yourself, well, what is the gospel, right? When I look at chapter 14, the gospel is Jesus Christ is what? He's God. Amen. He's the son of God, the only God, but he's also God. And we have to know that and recognize it. Because, and then he became flesh. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, rose again three days later, ascended into heaven, and he's coming back again. Amen. Do you believe that? then you believe the gospel, right? And you can rest, be assured, then you are saved, right? Because in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that the Father raised him on the third day, you shall be what? You will be saved. Guys, walk in that confidence, hey, when we believe that. Don't be persuaded that and doubtful by the enemy in the flesh that wants you to think, oh no, you can't be forgiven. Are you truly saved? Look at what you did today. No, I walk in that truth that when I believe in Christ. And here's the thing with Jesus, right? He'll meet us where we're at. Wherever you're at, if you may have come tonight and it's your first time here, he'll meet us where we're at, but he won't leave us where we're at. With the Holy Spirit, your life should have a change and has, should have fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? And you will have a better life than you had before. It doesn't mean it won't have trials. doesn't mean it won't have suffering, and that's what we're gonna see tonight. But with Jesus, everything is better because there is hope and there is peace knowing that we're gonna live forever in eternity with the, the God who was and is and is to come, amen? So when we believe that, we are saved, and there should be fruit of our spiritual conversion, and it should be evident to those around us, Amen. So you have to ask yourself that. Job says in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 14, I believe you will desire to have a relationship with me, God. You will desire to have a a relationship with your creation even after death. So even Job is hoping, he's actually hoping for hope. But we have that hope because of the New Testament, right? The Old Testament is what? The New Testament concealed? The New Testament is what? The Old Testament revealed. Amen. We have that revelation, guys. In fact, the book is called Revelation where it talks about Christ. Jesus desires to have an intimate personal relationship with us. He desires that. He doesn't need it. He has communion with the Holy Spirit. He has communion with his Father. And he has communion with the creation, the divine angels, right? The ones that didn't fall. But you know what? He created us in his image. We're the only thing created in his image. And he desires to have a personal relationship with you guys. Remember that. In everything you do, he desires to be a part of your lives and a part of my life chapter 14 finishes with Job stating that man can die quickly but also a man can live for a very long time and then die of old age and die slowly but either way a man will lose his hope and this is Job he's saying but either way God and he's telling his friend Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar but either way a man will lose his hope because death comes right so Job in this book, if you've never read it before, he goes back and forth and those of you who don't know what has happened to him is Satan has asked for him in the beginning. Actually, God points Job out, right? A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted and Job was tested and God says to Satan as Satan meets there in the throne room of God, he says, have you considered my servant Job? For he is righteous and there is none like him. Imagine if he said that about you. For Craig, you are righteous. Look at Craig, my servant. He is righteous, there's none like him. Look at Doug. He's righteous and there's none like him. Wow, what what an address from God the Father that would be, right, for me if I could only live up to that. But he says that about Job and then Satan comes. He allows Satan to touch him. First, he takes all 10 of his children. Then he comes back and he says, well, he won't curse you because you won't let me touch him. He doesn't really value his kids, Can you imagine that? And then God allows him to be sick, very sick. So at this point, Job is very sick and he sees going back and forth with his hope that there's an afterlife or maybe there's not. He doesn't understand why this is happening. He even questions God's justice and whether God is just or not, okay? So it's going back and forth. He even states at the end of that chapter, the very end, he says, death comes on a man and his countenance changes. The spirit is gone from his bodies." Now, if you're younger, maybe you haven't been to a funeral and seen an open casket. Many of us have seen an open casket. And is not the countenance changed? Can you not tell the spirit is gone from that body? There's nothing left, right? And they do all the makeup and everything they have to do to make it look presentable. But we know the spirit's gone. So we know we are flesh and we are spirit, just like the Bible tells us. Amen. Even the non-believers know that. They can look at a body and see something's wrong and something's gone. And so Job talks about the countenance of a man has been changed, Lord. And then he goes on in his in his burden and his anguish to say, and there's nothing a man can do. Once he's gone, he can't help his children, his grandchildren anymore, his sister, his mom. He's just gone. There's nothing he can do for the living. And he's sad about that. Which brings us to chapter 15 and 16. Eliphaz responds to Job in 15, and then Job will respond to Eliphaz in 16. Again, I titled this message, A Comforter, An Intercessor to Save Us from God's Wrath. So point number one, if you have an outline, there are outlines on the back. Um, I think uh, they were being passed out. So point number one, what we're going to kind of see tonight, we're going to see Eliphaz accuse Job of not fearing God and holding back prayers of repentance. We should give God reverence, always take seriously and never lightly our relationship with God. We should have reverence for God in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in the things that we wear. We should never refrain from asking God, guys, for forgiveness when we do wrong. And we should pray consistently and continually. Remember who we're praying to and how our prayers should be before God in reverence. Amen? Amen? Point number two we're going to see tonight. We must guard our hearts from sin and temptation. Our tongues will testify of what's in our heart. The tongues is an extension, guys, of what's in your heart. So anything that's going to come out of our mouths, it's already been growing in our hearts, amen? That's what the Bible says. And through self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, we need to learn to tame the tongue, amen? And through the Holy Spirit, our hearts should change. So we correct it, and what comes out of our mouths is holiness, holiness not wickedness, amen, is encouragement and something that edifies one another, not something that breaks people down and chops people down, right? That's not the heart of a Christian, amen? And I wanna encourage you and exhort you in that. Experience and age do not always bring, do not always lead to wisdom or spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is achieved by becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's maturity. When you become more like Christ, you set the example. It comes from a Bible, it comes, and this maturity comes from Bible reading a prayer life, constant fellowship, persistent servant service, like Josh talked about, right? Serving, I think Pastor Dave said last Thursday, no one should ever lead in a church if they're not willing to serve first, right? To be a servant of all, right? Christ came to earth, right? And he didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve. To serve. He said that. The, the creator of the universe, our God, our Savior, set that example for us, guys. He set it for me, Right? So with all my heart, the love he has put before me and what he's done for me, it is just but reasonable service. I give it back. Amen. So also stewardship. Stewardship is basically where when God gives you a ministry, when he gives you something to do, when he blesses you in your life, that you take care of that blessing, that you nurture it, that you grow it, that you have reverence for it. Amen. Men drink iniquity like water. We'll see that. Therefore, we should not put ourselves into circumstances that tempt us, guys, right? God, it says in the Bible, will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle, but will give you what? A way of escape. And we always have to choose that way of escape. Point number three, we're going to see God is not concerned with the traditions of men in the church, but is concerned with the church hearing his voice and obeying his word. Amen? Amen. That is the greatest form of worship, church, you will ever give your holy father and his son, obeying his word, amen? Now, point number four, we'll see, the righteous will prosper and also suffer, just like the wicked will prosper and also suffer. We must be men and women who are encouraged and comfort others when they're struggling, which I mentioned earlier. Edifying the church, lifting them up, encouragement and exhortation. We should always be heavenly minded, always looking for a divine appointment to share Jesus with other people. Like I said in the beginning, I think when I opened up in prayer, our job here as pastors is to equip you with the word of God, right? But we're not evangelizing here. Yes, people are going to get saved. Yes, people are going to come here. But it's to equip you saints to know God's word, to have a personal relationship with Jesus and then share that relationship and that word with the outside world. Amen? So guys, go out there and evangelize. Point number five, we'll see Job needed an intercessor to intercede on his behalf and plead for his life to God to save his life. Because remember we just read just in the beginning of the introduction, um, he was losing hope. He wanted someone to save him and not end up in the grave and be separated from God. And that was it. We also need an intercessor to save our lives. That intercessor died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus gave the world universal atonement, but it has to be individually accepted, right? So he died for everyone, that everyone can be saved for. He wishes that none should perish, right? It says that in the Bible. But guys, we have to indiv- individually accept that invitation. Amen? So let's go ahead and get started and read verse one. Point number one, have reverence for God and do not hold back on your prayers to God. <clears throat> Chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, we'll read. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Should a wise man answer with empty words and empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with which he can do no good? So Eliphaz is saying, Job, if you were wise, your talk wouldn't be empty. And like chatter and babble and basically have no meaning and have no value to me. You're like a windbag is basically what he's saying, right? You're like a windbag. The wise don't engage in empty chatter. That's what he's saying in verse 3. Then verse 4. Yes, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God. Guys, we should always fear God. And, and here, when he's talking about you cast off fear, he's saying you no longer fear God because you're talking about God and what he's done to you. You're questioning whether God is just. You're questioning whether God, there is hope in God. You're basically saying, I'm not in, I did not sin to have these horrible things come upon me and my family and my physical presence, right? We know it wasn't God attacking him, but he's accusing God at, at many times of God doing all these things wicked things to him, but we know it was Satan. But then Eliphaz is saying to him, you don't fear God. How dare you talk to God like that? But what it's saying is you don't have reverence for God. That's what it means when it says to fear God, right? The fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. 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 Amen. Because we have no reverence for God. What are we going to care for what he says to us? Amen. So that's what he's talking about here. Wherever we go, we are representatives of Christ, church, and God is with us at all times. Remember that wherever you are. Whatever you're saying to someone, whatever you're wearing, whatever you're doing, you're a representative of a holy God. You're a representative of Christ. We must have discernment and show God respect in the things we say, wear, and do. Psalm, for those of you who take notes, Psalms 2.11 says this, serve the Lord with fear, with, serve the Lord with reverence, and rejoice with trembling. Here, trembling, uh, its meaning is with humility, be humble before God. Matthew 10, 28 says this, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Amen. God should be our ultimate master over our lives. The authority over our lives should be the word of God. Amen. Because God can destroy both. Men can just take the the physical body, but the soul lives on forever. Amen. So a characteristic I want to talk to you about, about having reverence for God. Here I am on the pulpit, right? There is double accountability for me to be here, and there's also double honor that goes with it, but there is double accountability. I look at this pulpit as a place of reverence for God. I look at this pulpit as a place where I better get it right, and I better prepare, because if I didn't care to prepare, why would you guys care to listen to me? Amen? Amen. So, yes, I come prepared because I give reverence to God. His holy word is amazing, and it's precious. So, those of you may know, there was a church, it was this, I believe it was back... Um, I don't know if I put the date here, Uh, 2014, he stepped down. There was a pastor named Mark Driscoll, and I'll call him out by name. And I believe he's still doing ministry again uh, nowadays as well. So Mark Driscoll had a very successful church that actually attracted a a lot of young people. And in his church, there were a lot of questions about his reverence from the pulpit and for God. A characteristic of his ministry uh, was wearing a large range of provocative, provocative shirts on the pulpit. Okay, Um, and the church was called Mars Hill, and it's no longer there today because he actually was disqualified from being a pastor there, and one of the reasons that it came out, he was mistreating the staff that was there. He was being very mean to them. He was full of anger. The anger of man doesn't produce what? The righteousness of God, so he ended up having to step down, but here's one of the t-shirts that he was wearing, and he said from the pulpit. He said, the t-shirt I'm wearing is an example of drag queen Jesus. You'll notice he has, he's talking about the shirt he's wearing. He says, you'll notice he has very long hair, Jesus. Beautiful and curly and a nice feature and a bit of a ruse ruse on his cheeks. Um, He didn't look like that, really, Jesus didn't. And it also says that Jesus watches you download, download porn, which is theologically correct and actually true. So here he is wearing this shirt where Jesus is dressed as a drag queen with long hair and makeup on. And the message is, Jesus watches you download porn. Let me ask them, is that reverence for our Holy Savior? Is that reverence for the God who saved our life? For the God who went through all that torture and pain? For the exact sin that he's wearing on his shirt God died for? Amen? So that was one of the shirts. And then there was much laughter from the church, from the audience. And Driscoll smiled and laughed. And then he continued revealing what was really in his heart. He said, this is one of my favorite t-shirts to wear. From the pulpit, okay? You will never see me or Josh or Pastor Dave wearing a shirt like that, okay? Or Danella will stop the live stream and someone's getting fired, amen? I'm not Dave, but I'm, I know how Dave is, so guys, no, we have to have reverence for God when we're here, and not just here. When you guys are out there in the world, have reverence for the Lord, your Savior. And then he had another shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy shirt. According to Driscoll, and you guys have seen that shirt, right? Jesus is my homeboy. Some of them wear it. I don't care for the shirt uh, personally. The t shirt is worn also by Madonna, it's worn by Pamela Anderson, it's worn by Ben Affleck, it's worn by Ashton Kutcher and Brad Pitt. Okay? I can tell you a story from a a Christian who was evangelizing on a Brad Pitt movie set, and this is a true story. He actually went on like, I think it was Oprah, and a lot of different shows, these talk shows. And he said, when I was evangelizing, they had a $100 bill with Brad Pitt's um, face on it, and on the back, it had a track. And when he he saw Brad Pitt one day in the golf cart going from his trailer, and he gave him it, and Brad Pitt was very um, interested. He goes, oh wow, this is my face. The next day, Brad Pitt had him fired from the movie set. Christian was gone, off the set. All right, guys, so these are the company. He's wearing this shirt, and this is the company of the shirts that he's wearing. He had another shirt that says Jesus had Jesus as a DJ, as a disc jockey, and it just showed Jesus spinning records in a club. Okay, reverence for God. He had another shirt that said, What would Jesus do? And actually, this was part of his sermon series. I forget what the series was on, but it had something to do with the shirts, and that's why he was wearing all these shirts all the time. Another one said, What would Jesus do for a Klondike bar? You guys remember that one, right? The commercial. But again, are we making silliness and jokes of Jesus Christ? We should never do that. Yeah. Then he had another shirt that said, "If I have to find Jesus, that means he must have been hiding." And it shows Jesus playing hide-and-go-seek with someone, and Jesus is hiding in the bush and popping in and out. The T-shirt now get this: all these T-shirts are I'll, I want to say something that's not true that T-shirt it was sold by a website. You guys want to hear the name of the website? If I tell you the name of this website, you should know better than buy a t-shirt from them, okay? t-shirthell.com. T-shirthell.com. Probably shouldn't buy a t-shirt from t-shirthell.com, amen? Okay? And they sell nothing but shirts that slander Jesus with profanity all over them, shirt after shirt. Their company slogan is this: T-shirt hell, where all bad t-shirts go. Okay? Yeah, I'm not buying a shirt there. Sorry, just not going to buy a shirt there. We have evangel- wear here, so guys, buy a shirt here. Don't go to that website, amen? So Driscoll also gave a sermon to the church in Scotland from the Song of Solomon, a beautiful book, right? About marriage and a husband's adoration for his wife, right? Did God create intimacy before a man and a woman? Yes. Did he create it for us to enjoy between a husband and wife? Yes. Amen, it's a beautiful book. But... Driscoll drastically described intimacy between a husband and wife and basically critics of his Christian watchmen and watchmen websites said it was basically pornography. He was so intimate and detailed about acts between a husband and wife it was considered pornography from the pulpit. Guys, may that never be. And if you ever go to a church like that where people are wearing things like that, find another church, amen? We're glad you're here. That will never happen here. We have reverence for God, amen? So wherever we go, guys, have reverence for God. We must cast off We we must never cast off our reverence for God. We must respect Jesus in all things, amen? Then in the end of verse four, if you look at it, he says, and you restrain prayer before God. Eliphaz is telling Job he's held back on a prayer of repentance for the sin he's committed as to why these horrible things are happening in his life and he's suffering. But guys, here's the question. We know that wasn't what was going on with Job, but should we ever refrain prayers of repentance from God? What's the answer? No, if we know we've done wrong, we need to repent. The longer you have been a Christian, the shorter the time should be from the time you commit sin to the time you repent. Amen? You've heard that said before. Dave says it all the time, right? The longer you've been a Christian. Now, there's newer Christians, and they don't know that, and they're still God. They're walking with God, and God is still purifying them over time, amen? It doesn't happen overnight. I've had people come to me and say, Doug, I don't understand. I got saved last week. Why am I still sinning? I said, well, brother, you've been an, you, have, you are a professional sinner, right? What is it? You're a professional if you've done something 10,000 times. You are a professional sinner. You have become an expert at it. It's not going to happen overnight, right? But the Holy Spirit's not going to leave you alone. Like I said, he's not going to leave you where he found you, amen? So guys, ways we can restrain prayer So just not a prayer of repentance. There's other ways we refrain prayers from God or restrain them. We don't pray regularly. How many of you pray enough? How many of us could pray more? Amen, amen, right? So that's, a, that's restraining prayer from God. Guys, I want to encourage you, pray more. Do we prepare our hearts for prayer? Do we slow down when we pray and focus? Do you have, how many people have a prayer closet? A prayer closet. Somewhere where they go to spend alone time with God and they just focus on their communication with God, praying to him, right? Coming before him in supplication, coming before him in thanksgiving, coming before him in repentance, coming before him for those you love and praying on other people's behalfs, right? It's a good idea. Spend some alone time with God. Because it's great. Pray in the car. Pray at work. Pray wherever you are. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. But there's nothing like being able to focus one-on-one. It's like this. If I spend time alone, we, we have date night every Tuesday night, me and my wife. And that's time where we spend alone. There's no distraction. It's just me and her, right? And it's a beautiful time. Do you think that would be a beautiful time with your Savior? Amen, amen. Provisions. Do we refrain Thanking God for all he's given us. Do you thank him every day? Think of the hundreds of blessings he gave you today. Those of you who are sitting here, you got hands, eyes, you can walk, you can talk, you can set up chairs, amen? If you want to come on Sunday, come at 8 a.m., 8 a.m. to set up chairs. But guys, right? He's blessed us. Did all of you eat tonight before you came? Maybe not all. Are you going to eat tonight before you go to bed? Maybe are you going to sleep in a home in a warm bed? God gave you all those things. Thank him every day for his provisions. Repentance, right? Forgive my trespasses. I forgive those who trespassed against me. It's part of the Lord's prayer. Forgiveness of others. Some of us struggle with that. How can we be forgiven by our Father? The same forgiveness he gave us, we must give others, right? Do we refrain that? Is there people in our lives? Is there people in your lives you haven't forgiven yet? Maybe tonight's the night you call them and say, you know what, I love you. I forgive you, God, put it on my heart. But that has to come from God. Lead us not into temptation, right? That's part of the Lord's Prayer. James 1.13, for those of you who take notes, James 1.13. And remember, when you are being tempted, James says, do not say, good is tempting God, excuse me, God is tempting me. God never, God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else, Amen. Lord, lead us from evil, deliver us from evil, right? That's the prayer. God does not tempt. We pray in a strict and repetitive manner. Maybe that's how we pray. Never pouring out our heart to God. It's become more of like a Pharisee. I'm just gonna say the same thing every day. Guys, pour out your heart to him. He hears you. He can relate to you. Did he not become human? Did he not cry when Lazarus, his friend, died because he loved him, right? Jesus wept for us. He knows how you feel. Do we pray with doubt or unbelief or little faith? Do we pray in believing that God can't do it? Right? Is God going to give us everything our heart desires? No. Is God going to give us the things we desire if it's within His will? Yes. But do we pray with doubt? Recently, uh, as some of you know, we were looking for a new place to live. Back in April, we were moving out of our home. We were um, the landlord notified us that you have to be out in two months. And it was getting really close to that day where we had to be out. And we were praying and praying and praying for a a new home to rent. And a couple just fell out of our hands. We really thought God was going to deliver that home and it didn't happen. And I remember like, where are we going to go? And all I did is I said, you know what? We keep praying. I trust God. God has always provided for me and my family. God has always found a place for me to live and to do ministry. As many of you know, we have women's ministry at my house, men's ministry. We just had 14 youth group, youth group girls spend the night at my house the other night, right? We had band, uh, our worship youth team practicing at my house in the living room last night till, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night or whatever it was. Guys, I knew God was gonna come through. I prayed knowing God is going to provide for me and he did, we have a beautiful home, right? He provided and I'm able to pay for it and I just always trust him. So I pray knowing that God's gonna answer my prayer if I'm walking right with the Lord and I'm walking within his will and asking him for something he wants to give me within his will. So point number one, guys, have reverence for God and do not hold back on your prayers to God Have um, have reverence for God in all the things that you say, that you wear, and that you do. Pray regularly and consistently. Remember who you are praying to and how your prayers should be made to God. Those things we talked about. Thanking him, provision, repentance, praying for others, forgiving others. Amen? And then verse five through six. No, the next point, point number two. We must guard our hearts from sin and temptation. Let's read five and six. For your iniquity teaches your mouth, Job, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth, Job, condemns you. And it's not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you. He was saying that Job's sin is now influencing what comes out of his mouth. Your sins are telling your mouth what to say. It's what we talked about earlier. Your mouth is an extension of what's in your heart, guys, and what's in my heart. So what you hear come out of my mouth, coming from my heart in some way, shape, or form. Because what comes out of a man's tongue, Eliphaz, that's what Eliphaz was saying, Job, he's saying that Job is choosing to speak to God and them in a deceptive manner, which condemns Job. James 3.6 says this, and the tongue, those of you take notes, James 3.6, great verse, and the tongue is like a fire a world of sin or iniquity. It is set on fire by hell, right? It says in the Bible, our words can bring life or they can bring death, right? And it doesn't mean speaking things into existence. What it means is that I can chop a man down or a woman down with my words so much that it depresses them. that They could literally take their own life because I've ruined their self-esteem and I've hurt them that bad. Oh, well, we can speak life into people. Who do you, what side do you want to be on? one who speaks life, amen, for Jesus' life, right? And he came to give it more abundantly. That's the heart of a Christian. Our tongue testifies of what's in our heart. This is Matthew 15, 18, Matthew 15, 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. They defile. Um, in Greek, it's pronounced oi. The definition makes what's holy, unholy, unclean, or rotten. So when we speak things that are evil, we're making what's holy with our Holy Spirit, which should be holiness coming out of our mouth. We're making it unclean. It's rotten words, rotten fruit. And that's what he means. You're telling your, your, your sins are telling your mouth what to say. What is holy is rotten, Job. Do we say things that are rotten? Do we have rotten fruit? I have rotten fruit sometimes. Amen. It's something I'm constantly working on right? We have a battle going on inside of us, right, guys, between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. Sexual immorality, right? Including lust. When we talk openly, men, when we talk openly about sexual things that we should not be talking about, maybe we make a sensual comment about a woman, and we're married, right, guys? We shouldn't be doing that. Again, we're taking what's holy and making it unholy. Women, likewise, the same thing. And you can even be single and be in lust, right? Be careful what you say. Be careful what you focus on in your thoughts and what's what's starting in the heart. Lusting is a sin. How about coarse gesturing? How many people have made coarse jokes, right? And we think they're funny. And even at church, some of the people laugh at the jokes we make. And sometimes I've even heard Christians that we make sexual jokes, right? And then other Christian men laugh at them, right? Are we laughing at things maybe we should not be laughing at? Should we encourage that, brother? to maybe refrain from those things, show him the verses on coarse gesturing and how God doesn't like it. We should, right? I've had brothers in the Lord tell me, you know what, Doug, but we're men, bro. We're men. It's what we do. It's who we are. No, you know who I am first before anything else? I'm a Christian, okay? I'm not a man who's godly. I'm a godly man. Godly comes before man, amen? Amen. We must recognize we're not just men. We're not men first. I'm not a Boozyan first. You're not, you know, a Lee first. Uh, you're not a Mon- I can't say Danilo's name. You're not a Montero for Montero. Montero. I'm probably still wrong. First, you're a Christian first. Amen, men? You're Christians first, guys. Remember that. And ladies, remember that as well. We're supposed to be Christ-like more than anything else. This also covers, guys, and I'm going to touch on this, Right? Cursing, I can't tell you how many times I've heard brothers in Christ been walking with the Lord for 15, 20 years, women, sisters in Christ, and they're cursing like a truck driver, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, read, this to you. I'm gonna read this to you from Colossians 3.8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Say it again, filthy language out of your mouth. So if you struggle with that, it's time to take self-control over it. It's time to practice the fruit of the Spirit. It's time to know it's not pleasing to God. Amen? It's right there in Scripture. It's not me telling you. right? If you're feeling convicted and you do that, that's the Bible telling you that. And I believe that's something we should take care of early. Remember, again, representatives of Christ. Amen? Okay. So then James 3.10 says this. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? <clears throat> Baby Christians might still do this. And then that's where we got to have grace, right? Like I said, there are newer Christians. Can't expect all the sin to go away overnight. We've been saved over a period of time, but we need to control our tongues. We shouldn't be lying. We shouldn't be cursing. We shouldn't be taking the Lord's name in vain. Shouldn't be taking the Lord's name in vain. We shouldn't have flattering tongues like politicians and they're over there kissing the babies and they don't even like babies. They're like, oh, I like, why? Because they want to be elected, right? Doing things for our own gain. I used to work at a company. I worked with Pastor Dave and there was a guy there. He was a sales rep with us. He would never offer to buy us lunch. He never bought me one single thing when I worked with him for almost 20 years. But the managers, he would take them to lunch. He would buy them things. He would buy them presents. Every time it was their birthday, Why? Because the managers were control of the market and the accounts that we got. And the more accounts we got, the more money we made. It was out of selfish gain. And he was using that spirit of flattering them to get what he wanted. We shouldn't be speaking proudly of ourselves, right? Pride comes before a fall and what? Destruction before a haughty spirit. We shouldn't have backbiting tongues. Backbiter is someone who speaks against you when you're not present, but won't say it to your face when they see you. Backbiters, gossipers, they'd rather talk about the pastor or talk about the preacher than talk to the pastor and talk to the preacher, right? Matthew 18, if, you, if your brother's offended you or said something, you're supposed to confront him. If I've offended you ever, come let me know, right? I gotta have that heart to love the congregation and love the people, Right? So talk to the person who's offended you. Um, Eliphaz is accusing Job of having a tongue like the wicked, and it condemns Job. If you look at verse 6, he says, your own mouth condemns you. Saying it another way, we know you're guilty of sin by the way you talk, by what you said. You've already convicted yourself. You're already condemned. Then let's read uh, verses 7 through 16. Are you the first man who was born, Job? Or were you made before the hills? Have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom, Job, to only yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What do you understand that is not in us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, much older than your father. Are the consolations of God too small for you? And the word spoken gently with you? And I love this, the word spoken gently with you. At one point, do you guys know this? And In the past chapters, at one point, they literally told Job, these horrible comforters, these horrible physicians told him, based upon what's happening and how you're talking to God, we think more than your 10 children dying and that you can barely walk and your face is disfigured and you have open lesions. You stink and you smell. We're putting you out by the trash near the ash heap in the middle of town. No one wants to be around you. Young kids are spitting at you right? And they're calling you names. They use a Jewish idiom and said, you're nothing but a Job, which was basically calling someone a sinner. This is what he was going through from the whole town. This was the man who was righteous. This is the man who sat there and judged in in the city circle other people. This is a man when he walked into town, they looked at him as a brother who set the example of wisdom and godliness. A man who took care of widows, right? And then what they're doing here though, is they're saying, you're condemned and no one wants any heart of you. And what they say, when he says gently, they actually told him at one point, everything you've gone through, all those things God's taken from you, he should have did more to you. You deserve more for what you've done. And I can't believe they're saying here, we've spoken gently with you. Why does your heart carry you away there in verse 12? And what do your eyes wink at, Job, that you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out your mouth? What is man that he could be pure? And he who is born of a woman, that he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in his saints, the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. That's a powerful statement. Drinks iniquity. Drinks sin like water. We see sarcasm here. Job, you were, were you the first person who was ever born? Do you get secret counsel from God that no one else gets that you could speak to God that way and speak to us that way? In verses 9 through 10, if you look at him, he says, what do you know? What do you understand that we don't already know, Job? Older men than you, older than your father here, they're on our side. So imagine being Job in the sixth state and where you've come from and where you're at now, you've come from high so low and you think you're going to die. And the whole town and everyone you come in contact with is against you. And that's what they're saying. All the elders. So imagine all the elders coming against one of you. Imagine me, Josh, Dave, and all the church leadership coming against you, putting you outside the school. No, you can't be with us. Right? Imagine that. That's what he's going through. But here's what he's saying. These men, he's saying, we have a lot more life experience than you, some of these men here, and wisdom than you, Job. Experience and age, though, guys, don't always lead to wisdom, right? And experience and age don't always lead to spiritual maturity, amen? We tend to relate spiritual maturity sometimes as human beings to knowledge of the Bible. Wow, that guy knows so much scripture. Oh, man, he can quote scripture. He knows so much about the history of the Bible, the cultures of the Bible. He knows so much about the timelines of the Bible. He knows so much about doctrine of the Bible and theology of the Bible, amen? He knows so much about heaven and hell and he can tell you the scriptures that are about them. Christian maturity, though, is achieved by becoming more like Jesus Christ. Okay? Becoming more like Jesus Christ. It's not just knowing scripture. Christian maturity requires Bible reading and studying the Bible. A prayer life. I wrote a life. I didn't just write prayer there. In my notes, I wrote a prayer life. Right? Because what do people say sometimes? Oh, that's not just the experience, how I surf or whatever. It's a life I live. Surfing is a life. Surfing is life. Praying should happen throughout your whole life, Amen. Constant fellowship, guys. You become spiritually more mature. Persistent service, serving in the church. I want to encourage you. If you're not serving right now, serve in some way. Go on our website. Fill out. There's four, 13 different uh, services there for the Lord, where there's opportunities. And here's the thing, I'll tell you. And don't take this the wrong way. And if you do, I don't know what to say, guys. If you don't take the opportunities God gives you, I'll take them. I'll take your blessing. If you want to leave it on the floor, I'll take it. Josh will take it. Pastor Dave will take it. You guys, don't leave your blessings there. Serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Amen? Do something for the Lord. And I understand if you're older. You know, there's certain things we can't do. But I want to exhort you, right? Look at Daniel. He was still serving the Lord at like 87 years old. And he's opening his window and goes in the lion's den, and, and then he didn't know. But his ministry would be serving us today as we read his word. I preached on it on a Sunday morning, right? When Daniel, so guys, you're never too old to serve. There's something we can have you do. And we have people passing out invites at the back. You don't have to lift chairs, but get involved. Those who serve grow, amen? So we tend to relate spiritual maturity to certain things like that. But it's achieved by becoming more like Christ, reading the Bible, serving, persistence in service, and stewardship. Guys, when God gives us something, a ministry or an opportunity, do it with excellence. I always tell the youth worship, that's been on my heart lately. Guys, when we practice, do it with excellence. When we come up here and they ask us to do worship for the church, let's do it with excellence. Danilo's always been like that. He wants to do audiovisual with excellence. He wants a nice camera. He wants the sound to sound good. So guys, that's what stewardship is. When God does give us something, or is our whole heart in it? Are we just giving God what's left over? Let me do the minimum I have to do. Oh, I showed up at eight in the morning. Let me put out three chairs and let that one dude do the other 90. Right? No, right? So, guys, do it with excellence. That's what being a good stewardship is. Reordering one's life is a big part as well of spiritual maturity. And what I mean by that is the priorities in your life. So guys, I always say this, and I've said it to the men's ministry, I've said it to the children's ministry, I've said it when I teach the youth. I organize and rearrange my life around ministry. I don't plan ministry around my life. What that means, hey, if we're having a youth retreat on that day, two months before that, I have already told my partner, I will not be working Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Right? Because I plan my life around ministry. I don't plan ministry around my life. If I know I'm going to be here tomorrow, I'll be here for a youth group, Friday night. I know that date. It's the second and fourth Friday of every month. There'll be nothing I will schedule in that place. I will schedule my life around ministry. That's another big part, guys, of spiritual maturity. Changing from pleasing ourselves to pleasing God, another big step. The consistency, perseverance, and doing those things we know will bring us closer to God. In Galatians, Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is translated, here's how it's translated in this verse in Galatians. With purpose, one step at a time, learning to walk under the power of the Holy Spirit with purpose. So guys, as we grow, as we take steps in ministry, as we take steps in learning the Bible, as we take steps in anything we do for God, do it with purpose, amen? Amen. Jesus is the theme, guys. The church is the means, and the Holy Spirit is the power. Josh always says that. He says it to the youth all the time. Guys, Jesus is the theme. Don't ever, it's all about Jesus. The church is the means. That's where we take Jesus and give it to those who don't know him, and the Holy Spirit is the power, that God gets all the glory, because if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Amen? Amen. And then in verse 11, if you look at it, he says, Job, are the consolations of God too small for you and the words spoken gently with you? God's consoling, or he's saying God's consoling. What does it mean to console someone, right? It means to be there when they're hurt. Be compassionate, see them through it. Encourage them, love them, comfort them. He goes, are God's consoling or are our words too little for you? Are these words spoken gently, not bringing you the comfort of God? And we talked about that earlier. These guys weren't bringing him the comfort of God. And then in verse 12, if you look at it, he goes, why does your heart carry you away, Job? Job, why are you letting emotions get the better of you in talking to God like this because of what has happened to you? Why are you reacting from emotion rather than logic, knowing you should repent? Because bad things happen to bad people. Evil, bad things is the wicked being punished and you must be wicked. That's logical. But why are you reacting out of emotion and saying you haven't sinned and not repenting by now? That's what he's saying. Guys, don't let emotions carry you away as well. I've had to do this myself in my Christian walk. Our emotions can take us away from godly fellowship. And what I mean by that is the people in the church, your leaders here, your pastor, your pastors, there's a good chance we're gonna do something that's gonna offend you. There's a good chance we're gonna hurt you in some way, shape, or form. And we might not even know we've hurt you. Tell us we've hurt you. But the bottom line is that should not break your fellowship with God, amen? You look to Christ. He's the example. We're his messengers. We should be example, but he's the ultimate example, right? Will Christ ever let you down? No. Will God ever not want to comfort you? No. Will God ever not want you to have peace or is he the one who brings peace? He's the one who brings peace, guys. Don't focus on the men. Focus on who you're here for, the Savior. Because, guys, I remember years ago, my pastor wouldn't talk to me much at an old church. And he would walk right by me and he would talk to other people and he just always seemed to be focused on other things. And I got really mad at him and then he talked to me one time in a way I didn't appreciate. He talked to me in a really aggressive manner. Basically, I'm not going to say what he said, but bottom line, I was hurt. I found out later he struggled from an internal virus in his stomach and every time he was preaching up there, he was in complete pain. And as soon as he got off the pulpit, he was in so much pain, he liked to go to the bathroom in his pain and take care of whatever he needed to take care of. But I thought oh, he's mean, he doesn't talk to me. See, guys, the paradigm of what people are going through, sometimes we don't know the whole story. There was another pastor who told me one time, he he got a call right after he just got off the pulpit from a sermon, his mom was sick and in the hospital. So he ran right out of the church and left, and a guy was coming up to hug him, and he said, "I, I can't right now, and he ran out. And that guy never came back to that church. And then that man saw the pastor years later and the pastor said to him, oh man, we haven't seen you in so long, what happened? He said, I was offended by you. I went to hug you that day and you didn't hug me. And then he told him, my mom was in the emergency room. That was the reason I left, right? Don't let your emotions get the better of you and come and distract you from your relationship with Christ. Amen. And your fellowship. And remember this, you have fellowship with your pastors. We love the fellowship with you, right? But you don't come here just for us. You come here to hear the word of God. You come here to pray. You come here to give an offering to God in the back box. You come here to do ministry, children's ministry, hospitality ministry, greeting ministry. And you come what? After church, I see all you guys fellowshipping, right? There's hundred, iron sharpens iron. Guys, there's so many other reasons we're here. Don't forget that. Don't lose track of that, amen? Otherwise, you'll be jumping from church to church because I, I guarantee you, every church will offend you in some way. Every pastor's gonna say something to you or do something to you that's gonna hurt you. Guys, let's not react out of emotion. Let's remember the love of God. They'll love us by the love we have what? One for another. Amen. This is a story. This happened to me and my wife. So I'll never forget. We were leading children's ministry at another church. And things weren't going maybe as they expected it to go. Maybe we weren't meeting their, we, we weren't, we weren't meeting their expectation. But nothing was ever really talked about. So we're leading children's ministry like we're leading children's ministry here. The pastor's wife calls us over and says, hey, let's start prayer before children's ministry. Me and my wife are like, amen. So right before we're about to start praying with the four or five teachers, we're standing in a circle. The pastor's wife looks at me and my wife and says, I know you guys lead the children's ministry, but you won't be leading it anymore. We're gonna have Teresa lead the children's ministry for now on, or I said a name. We're gonna have someone lead the children's ministry for now on, and we won't need you to lead it anymore. Let's pray. (laughs) So we got fired right before prayer. (laughs) And I remember me and my wife walked away. and did, Did we just get fired right before the children's ministry prayer? With no prior, no one talked to us prior to that. No one mentioned like, here's what our expectation is. Here's what our vision is for them. They just fired us. Now look, I was offended. So I went to them who offended me. And I said, you offended me. I did not like what happened. They talked to me. They apologized. They said they loved. And I told them, I go, I don't think that's your heart. Right? That wasn't the intention of your heart. Some people just aren't great at talking to people, guys. Some people aren't great at articulating themselves. Dave's a master at articulating himself. I mean, he's unbelievable with words. I'm pretty decent. Josh is pretty decent. Some people just aren't. And they said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to hurt you. And I was fine with it. We stayed at that church for years after that. Now, I could have walked away, right? Imagine that situation. I could have been like, oh, I'm never coming back here again. I can't believe they treated me that way. But guys, let's not let our emotions get the better of us. God has work for us to do. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Our counsel, uh, he says there in that verse, you wink at it in verse 12. Wink in Greek here is to mock. It means disrespectful behavior. Basically, he was saying, Job, you're rolling your eyes when we speak like you don't even care about what we say. You turned your spirit against us and your spirit against God. Picture Job rolling his eyes and them saying, We come on behalf of God, Job. We're here to comfort you. Um, Now we have to rebuke you because you won't repent. So will you just repent and make it right with God? You should be comforted by our discipline for you, right? And you see Job going, oh, yeah, guys, really? This is what I need right now, right? Job, you should thank us for bringing you this rebuke, right? Yeah, okay. But consider Job's plight. This is not the time to rebuke this man, right? When you see someone hurting, guys, put yourself in their situation, right? Let's be people who are comforting them. Verse 14, what is man that he could be pure, he says. Man is born unrighteous and, and sinful, of a sinful woman. Now, how can he be made righteous? And then in verse 15, if you look at it, if God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, then what he's talking about there, if God puts no trust in his saints, he's talking about the angels, the created ones, the divine beings. Uh, a third of the angels, you know, followed Satan out of heaven, and the rest stayed there. Um, the angels were unrighteous. That's what he's talking about, the angels that were unrighteous, who turned on God and followed Lucifer. He goes, if God can't even trust them, and even they don't walk righteously, How much more you, Job? Verse 16, how much less can God, that's where he says it, how much less can God trust a man of flesh who is filthy? this is reiterating though, Job already knew this. Job had already said the same things in earlier chapters. So they're never telling him something new. Continuing in verse 16, if you look at it, he says, man who drinks iniquity like water. We read in Genesis 6, 5, it says this, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of his thoughts of his hearts was only evil continually. I don't know about you, but I constantly take my thoughts captive because if I don't, I will be thinking evil things a good portion of the day, right? And you know, the pastors have always said, if I could take you guys in this room, and we put a, we made that a a movie screen, and we projected all your thoughts about your husband today, all your thoughts about your wife, all your thoughts about your pastor, all your thoughts about anyone you thought about, or anything you thought about, what would we see? Would we be ashamed? You know, I would. And that's what God's saying, is we constantly, that battle with the flesh, we have to feed the Holy Spirit, Like Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I what? I do. This verse describes sinning like drinking water here. Do we crave water? We crave water. Do we desire water? We desire water. We need water to live, right? We can never get enough of what? Water, right? We need water to survive. And he describes sin as water. We need water. We don't need sin to survive, though. That's the difference here. We need the Holy Spirit to survive eternally, amen, not in God. Sin, guys, starts with the temptation. It's important to keep ourselves away from tempting situations. James 1, James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15 says this. It's the New Living Translation. Temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You want to die, you want a life of destruction, the road of the transgressor is hard. Continue sinning. Amen? That's how you do that. If we struggle with drinking, we probably shouldn't go to happy hour where we can get nachos for $5, right? Well, I'm going to go there, I can get nachos for $5, and then everyone around us is drinking beer and we struggle with alcohol. What do you think is going to happen? You're probably going to want to wet your whistle to eat the nachos, right? Guys, we shouldn't be at the bar for happy hour we struggle with drug abuse. Maybe if the drug dealer invites me over to watch a Disney movie, I probably shouldn't show up. Not that he would be watching a Disney movie, but right. We don't go to the drug dealer's house because, oh, you know what? I'm starting to go to church. I feel confident. I used to be addicted to drugs. Oh, my friend, he's my best friend. And this happened to me when I used to live a life of sin. He invited me over to watch a movie. You know, I'm just going to go over there. I can handle it. And everyone's doing drugs. What do you think's going to happen? and do drugs. Don't put yourself in tempting situations. Don't get a ride to the restaurant if you struggled with smoking weed, and then you know this guy smokes weed, and he's going to smoke up the whole car on the way to the birthday party, right? Don't get in the car. Use wisdom. Stay away from people like that, Christian, right? Struggle with lust. Don't be alone with a woman, or women. If you struggle with lust, don't be alone with a man, amen? Amen? Even when they just invite you to lunch during the lunch hour. I used to have women invite me to lunch uh, during my lunch hour. And um, guys would go with me like my friend. Um, it bothered my wife. And at first I didn't understand it. But when a pastor, I got counsel from a pastor. And I'll never forget what he said to me. This has stuck with me my whole life. He said, Doug, so you want to spend uh, 45 minutes with some women that causes your wife to stumble because she doesn't like it. But when you're sick and you're old and when you need someone to be there to comfort you and to take care of you in compassion, who's going to be the one there cooking your meal, taking care of you, bringing your medicine, seeing to your needs? I go, my wife. He goes, what's more important, having lunch for 40 minutes with girls you don't know or honoring your wife? I said, honoring my wife. And that's what I did. One of our other rules in our, in our relationship is we're not allowed To be friends with anyone on Facebook that we liked or had any intimacy, even when we were 14, 13, 15, can't be friends with them. Anyone she was intimate with, kissed, even kissed, 15-year-old, can't be friends with them. The reason why it can cause you to stumble, we know someone who was married happily for like 20 years, started talking to their high school sweetheart from like 20-something years ago, left their wife, ended up with the high school sweetheart, cheated on the wife. These are boundaries I set. I don't put myself in tempting situations, amen? And I want to encourage you guys. If you just struggle with the temptation of idol worship, loving money, greed, start giving 10% of all your paycheck to the Lord, right? God wants to know that we, we should know that God will sustain us. We don't need the money. Our, our God owns cattle on a thousand hills, amen? So if you struggle with that, and it's biblical, right? To give to the Lord, like Josh said tonight, give, be a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, Amen? You struggle with unforgiveness, love your enemy. Pray that God gives you the heart. Call them and forgive them. I'll never forget this. I have a relative that I, for the life of me, if I try my hardest, it's hard to love, okay? It is so hard to love this person. And most of our lives, we just insult each other, talk down each other, insult each, just hurt each other. And I remember they were at my house and they don't know the Lord. And I said, if, Lord if I want them to know you to show them the love of God and the Holy Spirit told me before they leave you need to tell them you love them I can't do that there's no way I can tell this relative I love that no it's not and you know what I did I didn't tell them they left they left And then they came back again, and there was the Holy Spirit. Before they leave, tell them you love them. And I was like, like, it was almost like someone got my tongue and squeezed it. it And finally I said, I have to honor God. The Holy Spirit's telling me love them, right? Love them with the love of Christ who went to the cross while they were spitting at him, right? And cursing at him. But he still loved them, yet while they were sinners. So I told this person, I love you. And they looked at me like, what's wrong with you? I don't love you, right? they walked out, came over again, left. I love you. Didn't say it back. Third time, I love you. They said, I love you. Fourth, fifth time says, now they say I love you to me all the time. We have a better relationship. Right, guys? Unforgiveness can put barriers between our relationship with God and what God wants us to do. The devil will use some of the following to draw us into a lukewarm relationship with God and eventually sin. An out-of-control schedule. How many of you guys have a schedule that's just a beast and it just doesn't stop? We, a lot of it in America, we have that, right? Between our personal life, our ministry life, uh, our work life, right? Our free time. An out-of-control schedule. I'm too busy. Ephesians five fifteen through 16 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are are evil if you desire to walk closely with God you will absolutely absolutely necessarily have to begin by taking a close look at your calendars don't schedule God in make God the schedule and schedule everything else around it misplaced affections in first John two fifteen, it says this do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him we have to be careful not to set our heart on things that are just not that important we went to a children's ministry conference I remember years ago and the children's ministry uh, leader said this. He said it it really hurts me. I'm really disappointed. So many parents are so involved in sports that they'll put the sports before their child's spiritual health. He goes, how many fathers have come to me and they're like, oh, I can't come to church on Sunday because I'm coaching the basketball team or the baseball team. Oh, I can't make it midweek because that's when there's baseball practice or soccer practice, whatever it is. So then they just don't come to church. I'll never forget years ago, Joshua's uh, daughter, Jojo, who was in children's ministry, she was the star player on the soccer team. And I remember Joshua though, she would come in the uniform sometimes and she'd have a game right right after church. But then there were other times she wouldn't have the uniform. And I would ask Josh, oh, she doesn't have a game today? She has no uniform. And Josh would say, no, she has a game today. She's just not going to it because the Lord is more important than a game. Amen? And guys, and this, this children's ministry teacher says, when we raise our children in the Lord and for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, are our children, right, ever gonna stand before the Lord one day, right? And then they don't know God because they look at us as fathers, Right? Fathers, you should be leaders in your household. And if they go, my dad's gonna put everything in front of God, and he's gonna coach the team, and he doesn't care if we go to church on Sundays, what's gonna happen when they're over 18 years old, and their skills are gone, and they're older, and they can't play basketball like they used to? Do you think they're gonna go to church? Do you think they're gonna make church a priority? Are they going to make coaching their son's team a priority over church, right? And this, this children's ministry leader said, it's so sad because it was, it was a children's ministry conference. He says, all these young people might not know Jesus and they might be headed towards hell. And when they stand before God on judgment day, they're going to say, but God, but God, why am I going to hell? Do you know I, squ- I, I, I made 4,000 three-pointers? Do you know how good I can drivel? I can cross over anyone. I can juke anyone with the ball. I slept with my basketball. It's not going to matter. The time they spent with the Lord and what they did with the Son of God is what's going to matter, amen? So fathers, don't put things before God. Make God a priority in your homes. Discouragement will also ruin our relationship and make us lukewarm, right? I'm no good. I'm not making a difference. I always mess up. I can't do it. What's the point? I might as well give up. Are my sins even really forgiven? Nothing but trials and tribulations ever happened to me. Well, look at Job. Right? And even after all this, he still, blessed be his name, he said about God, for God gives and takes away. Right? We know the story. When the trials of life cause us to become discouraged, guys, we often start focusing on those problems and no longer focusing on Christ. And that's what Job could do. But he kept focusing on God, even though he struggled with what he was going through. Like when Peter left the boat and he was walking on water, we all know the story. When did he fall into the water and he no longer walked on water? When he got worried and he looked at his circumstances around him and the raging waves, and he took his eyes off of who? He took his eyes off Christ. Don't take your eyes off of the Lord. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. He knows you can't be saved if he breaks, his, he breaks your relationship with God. So I want to encourage you that. Abundance in America, we have an abundance of things that can distract us from God as well. We're wealthier than 99% of the world, guys there was a, an African man who called into a radio station. He was a missionary in Africa. And he, I think he was a pastor. And the radio show host said to him, I feel so bad for you. There's so many militias and things that happened to you and horrible, heinous crimes against your people and how you can still believe in God. I feel sorry that those things happen to you and that you have to go through those things and still, be, you know, still believe in God, how, how hard that must be. And he said... Oh, don't feel bad for me. I feel bad for you Americans because you have so much abundance to distract you from having a relationship with God. He goes, I have to depend on God every day for my life. I'm constantly thinking about God. I'm constantly praying to God. I'm constantly reading my Bible. You Americans, there's no reason to. Imagine that. Guys, sin is like a parasite. It makes you sick. And if not removed, it will grow and make you sicker as time goes on. When we are living in sin and not repenting, we are in rebellion to God. This rebellion will keep us from the church. It'll keep us from fellowship. It'll keep us from praying. And it'll keep us from reading the word of God. Amen. So guys, tackle that. So that was point number two. We must guard our hearts from sin and temptation. Our tongues testify of what's in our hearts. We must have a heart in Christ and control our tongues. When others sin against us, we can't let our emotions lead us away from fellowship with God and God's people. Experience and age do not always lead to wisdom or spiritual maturity. We need to become more like Jesus for spiritual maturity. Reading our Bibles, prayer life, constant fellowship, persistent service, stewardship, taking care and nurturing the ministries God has given us. And men, we drink water and women Sin like water, therefore we should not put ourselves into circumstances that tempt us to drink that water. Point number three. I'm not gonna be able to finish. I'm gonna finish point number three and we'll stop there. Point number three. Verse 17 God is not concerned with the traditions of men in the church but is concerned with the church hearing his voice and obeying his word. 17, I will tell you, hear me. What I have seen, I will declare. What wise men have told me, Job, not hiding anything received from their fathers to whom alone the land was given and no alien passed among them. Eliphaz here in verse 17 is saying, I will, I will tell you from my experience and what I've seen, these are the words that I'm saying to you are also confirmed by wise men who've heard the same things and passed down the same things verbally from their fathers, whom this land was given to before the foreigners even came. So he's kind of saying, this word that I'm going to tell you, has not been um, diluted or corrupted by the foreigners who've come into our camps. No, this is what we know about God, those who love God, and I'm telling you it's true, and you have to hear my words. Remember in chapter one, <clears throat> God said to Satan, look at Job. He is the most righteous of men. You see, Job had always taken direction from God's voice, right? He even sacrificed to God on behalf of his children when he didn't need to. His children bought their own sacrifice, but he sacrificed for them just in case there was sin in his children that they didn't know about. Job would make sure that was covered. So if he was sacrificing to God, he was always constantly praying to God too. Amen. So <clears throat> guys, Job always looked for direction from God, not men's opinions or traditions. We have a church today that what? That have turned from biblical truth and have elected to go with traditions of men rather than the word of God. If a church is teaching biblical truth in context, it should be followed. And if it is not teaching biblical truth in context, it should be rejected. Amen. Amen. These are the, there's no 10-step program to salvation. and these 10 things, you have to go to catechism. You must be baptized. You can only be buried in this cemetery, right? <clears throat> there's a mediator between us and God and its man. No, there's only one mediator, and it's Jesus Christ, amen? The, there is no 10-step program to salvation. It's scripture alone, sola scriptura, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola crystal, Christ alone, guys, and the glory to God alone, amen? It's through what he did on the cross that we're saved. Amen. To Talastai, it's finished. There's nothing else. Romans ten nine says this. And I told you earlier, you're saved according to the scripture. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved. You will be saved. But Eliphaz is looking at the traditions of his forefathers. Job wants to hear from God. Amen. <clears throat> When you come here, <clears throat> you'll hear from me. <clears throat> Obviously, you'll hear from Dave. You'll hear from Josh. But ultimately, guys, you want to hear from God. And thank God I want to hear from God. I won't get up here unless I've prepared and that I know I'm going to hear from God first before I tell you for you to hear from God. Amen? So, guys, let's close there. We're on uh, verse 20. I didn't even get close. I had f- chapter 15 and 16. I mean, we can keep going. Uh, who wants to be here at about 11 no hands we got chairs to clean up we can clean up chairs no just kidding so yeah we'll close there and then maybe next time when i'm up here we'll continue from there um so let's go ahead and pray if the worship team wants to come on up father in heaven we thank you for all you've done lord thank you for your word lord father in heaven may we take this word lord may we apply it to our lives The enemy, Lord, is always trying to break our fellowship with you. The fellowship that Jesus took from being broken and has reconciled. He always wants us to have a lukewarm relationship with you. May we take your word, though, Lord, for what it is, Lord, that Job kept seeking to hear from you and hear from your voice. He never cursed you, Lord, even through the most horrible trials and the toughest tribulations, Lord. May we have that same heart. May we go out into the world, Lord, sharing our testimony of the goodness that you've done, sharing our testimony of all the blessings you've given us, Lord. May we tell others of Christ Jesus, your son, Lord. Father in heaven, I come before you tonight and I ask if there's anyone out there, if you wanna know this God, and like Romans 9, you confess with your lips, you wanna confess tonight with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe the Father raised him from the dead, you shall be saved tonight. Is there anyone out there? Just raise your hand. If you want to say this prayer and you want to know the creator of the universe, you want to know the God who loves you, the God who cares. Is there anyone? If there's anyone out on live stream and you want to give your life to the Lord tonight, say this prayer with me. Father in heaven, I come before you, Lord. I have been a sinner. I've been born into sin, Lord. But Father in heaven, I want to know you and I want to know the love of your son. Father, and I want peace in my life. I want to know the creator of the universe. I want to stand before you, Father, not being condemned and not guilty, but accepting the blood and the gift that Jesus Christ has done on the cross for me. I want to be saved. And I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I believe in my heart that you have raised him to the dead. Say that prayer. You shall and will be saved. And it says they rejoice in heaven when one gives their life to the Lord. So if you said that prayer, welcome to the family. We love you. There's a lot more work to do. We want to send you a Bible. Go to cccanejovalley, cccanejovalley.com. Call the number on there. It's actually Pastor Dave's phone number. And we want to send you a Bible and invite you to church. We love you. We thank you. And all God's people said...